back again, back to season four, Tapestry of Call, having more conversations with women of color who have answered a call on their life in leadership, in activism, um, in pastoring, and we're exploring what it looks like to answer that call and to do the work that feeds our soul. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, as Reverend Dr. Emily Town says, when you talk about vocation through a womanist lens of doing the work, doing the work that your soul must have. And mm-hmm. we are really excited to hear from today, Reverend Kelsey Brown of the truth that she brings in a unapologetic African descent Congregation, am I saying that right? Yes, African Descent Lutheran Congregation. Yes, African Descent Lutheran Congregation. Uh, Reverend uh, Kelsey Brown is the pastor, uh, the leader. Um, We're excited to hear about her journey of call. So take a listen to her introduction, and then we'll move right into our conversation. My name is Kelsey Brown. I'm a pastor in uh, East New York, which is a neighborhood in Brooklyn. Uh, the church that I pastor is Jehu's Table, and we're an African descent Lutheran congregation focused on uplifting our community, uplifting our congregants, and giving praise and thanksgiving to God all the time. I'm a queer, biracial, native New Yorker. I like show tunes, really loud music, and I'm always just trying to dance it out constantly never not trying to dance it out so that's just a little bit about me just a little bit well i got some questions all with that i I would love to know what does it mean to be an african descent church that's my first question (laughs) (laughs) it's actually i feel like if you asked white folks in the ELCA, they would have no idea what it means. But because uh, I grew up in an African descent Lutheran congregation, I have a, I think a different meaning than maybe uh, other folks would kind of say. So for me, being an African descent worshiping community means bridging the gap between the ancestral and the present. Uh, It's a lot of really strong worship centered in the type of faith that you can't see or or uh, experience unless you've experienced it before. There's a lot of camaraderie being a church that is African descent in that we can just exist. There's no kind of cultural barriers that we need to jump over to be able to just worship together. Um, That just, to me, means that everyone's on the same page. And first call can be really hard. I have a lot of colleagues that have said, like, wow, first call has been really tough. Or like, oh, with the current political situation that we're in, it's been really tough to be a pastor. But like, I can get away with saying a lot (laughs) at Jehu's table, probably uh, much more than I've ever said at any church that I've ever pastored or or walked alongside because there's this shared lamenting that happens uh, in times of crisis and sorrow 
that is mirrored by like very, very intense and powerful and spirit filled worship that we just meet each other there already when there is another black man murdered by police. Like we enter into worship all on the same page. Everyone's angry. Everyone's upset. Everyone is maybe feeling hopeless or helpless in that situation. So we don't have to do a lot of like explaining. We can just enter into a time to praise and be present with one another that I haven't found in non-African descent communities uh, in the ELCA. And I've been a part of a lot of them. Mm-hmm. I'm a mm-hmm person. Yeah. My mm-hmm say a lot. Mm-hmm. So, um, but all of that, the, the power of what it means to be a part of a faithful community that embodies practices, gives life to the ancestral and the present in the midst of lamenting. I think naming that and also practicing that is, is, is just, yes, it's everything. It's all the things. And I, and I would say it's something that I feel like we need now more than ever. And I feel like as we see the streets rise up in protests and uprising, like those are the moments especially when Black people are leading of that ancestral coming into the present that we will constantly cry out when one of our loved ones is attacked, hurt, exploited in whatever way. So to reflect that in worship, and I don't want to go down this like other path about how protest is worship, but that's what I hear. And so my second question is, as you were sharing in your beautiful introduction, what is a soundtrack that you're listening to right now that you are dancing it out to? What what are you twerking, moving, shouting, shaking? Yes. What's your rhythm? What are you listening to? I, honestly, the soundtrack that's playing on repeat in my head constantly is uh, the refrain of a Black trans woman that I was privileged to meet named Andy Jean. And uh Queen Jean, as she goes by on social media, has been out in the streets protesting since May, every week, multiple times a week, every day, and creating the enmeshing, the enmeshment of ball culture and trans culture and... um a a strong political movement that folks of varying intersections are being a part of. And the chance for trans lives matter is constantly running through my mind. Black trans power is one of Andy's favorite chants and people are videoing them and recording them and going through my Instagram every day and hearing those words again and again has been a soundtrack that has propelled me since May all the way through until now, when that's not happening, anything by Chica, like anything by Chica will like get me out of the bed in the morning. I think that her place and her presence as like a fat, queer, black girl from Alabama um, and the power that she brings to each and every place that her presence is kind of needed or noted in 
she brings a power that I think is really pulling, pulling me through. And she does like wild Instagram lives that I'll just sit there for four hours. The time difference, she's in LA. I will sit there until 3 a.m. just listening to whatever she has to say on on her Instagram because it's life-giving. And when celebrities and folks that are on the come up are providing balm for the community, I'm, I'm going to take time out of my day to, to seek it out. Mm, speaking of balm. Mm, 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 mm. Opened it all up for us. Here we are. Listen, <laughs> listen. I need to add some more. Thank you for the additions to my playlist. But speaking of balm, you know, and what you shared with us, just in like your your statements of call and vocation, you talked about. You know, I'm not really sure uh, what I'm doing or how I'm remaining whole and present during this time, because to be completely honest, um, I feel really fractured, kind of out of place right now. But There is something that I keep telling my congregation every week, and it's been providing me balm in the same vein as being made whole. We are whole in the uncertainty of the time right now. Every week I remind them that I don't know what their week is going to be like. I don't know what the next seconds or minutes or hours or days are going to be like, but I do know one thing. And one thing remains certain that God continues to show up for us in the least expectant ways, in the bodega man at my corner who smiles at me behind a mask or the parking lot attendant at one of my parishioners' jobs who always compliments her gospel music as she comes into work every day. There are moments of wholeness throughout all of this, if we remember to look for them. And kind of what I was hearing in that is that our bomb is our wholeness. And like that you've given all of these examples of how just like within your congregation and within yourself, when you are living into your full authentic presence, self, ancestral call, vocational call, like when you're just owning all of who you are in community and yourself, like that is where healing can be. And so I would just love for you to just say more about your pastoral journey and how has pastoral ministry been that work that has been so nourishing? How has it been that balm for you? And how did you get there? That's a, that's a hard one. And maybe not even hard, just long, right? Like there are a lot of people, places, and things that have popped up in my life that have led me to where I'm at right now. But before I felt and confirmed a call to public ministry, I always wanted to be a nurse. I went to undergrad with the idea that I was going to be a nurse. I picked a school that had a stellar nursing program because I was convinced that in order to help people, I had to go into a helping profession. So I resolved through the death of my father 
that I was called to be a nurse. I wanted to physically help and aid in healing. And then I went to work at a church camp, as many Lutheran youth and young adults do. Um, And while I was there, God kept showing up in people and places and things, like the sirens outside my window right now. And I had an interaction with a camper that allowed me to see that in order to help someone, in order to aid in healing, I just had to be a presence. I didn't have to be a nurse. I just had to be a person who could hear and hold the things that people needed me to hear and hold. So that switch from realizing that the thing that makes me happiest in the world is just being a person for people. And like, maybe that's the Enneagram 2 in me that is like real strong. (laughs) But it's also that like, I find the stories of Jesus when Jesus is just helping people, when there's a need that's presented and Jesus just transforms that need. And it's not always in the ways that people think their need is going to be met that that's where I continue to find God again and again and again. So in a time of social and political upheaval, in a time of pandemic, the ways in which God is pointing me to care for myself is to care for others. It just looks a little bit different than what I had thought it might look like. So Every Sunday, I invite the congregation to just take a deep breath. I feel like so frequently, I'm holding so much tension in my breath, in my shoulders, in like my innate ability to just carry so much without being able to put it down anywhere. And I just tell them, take a deep breath, release your shoulders, take your tongue off the roof of your mouth. It's all going to be all right. And... Then I remind them at the end of service, like, I don't know what this week is going to unfold, what it's going to look like for you or what it's going to look like for me, but God does. So have faith, walk forward, because I need to hear those words, because those words provide balm for me as well. And they're the words that I think God is continually placing in my path to affirm and reaffirm that this is a way to help people move forward and that it'll ultimately be the help and healing and moving forward that I need to do for myself as well. Um, Basically just a big old therapy session from God who's just saying, you got to do the work, got to do the work. And sometimes the work is helping people help you. (laughs) Helping people help you. I like that. You mentioned that a bit about how, your congregation in many ways is that place of nourishment for you, that they show up and the way that they worship and the way that they show God's actions in the world is also what pushes you forward to keep going. One of the greatest things I think about um, my call as it stands right now is that our worship virtually, and now we're back in person every other week. Uh, Our worship is fire. (laughs) It is 
joy-filled and calm and peaceful and rowdy, all of the things that I think make up a worship service. There is time for celebration. There is time for lament. uh, But most of all, it is just time spent together with God and with one another. And that is, uh, I think, what is keeping me going during this time is the call that I have to these people and the call that they have on my life. So here's a question, though, because in the beginning, when you started speaking on the recording, you had mentioned something and it caught me. And so I have to ask, (laughs) you said that you feel very fractured and out of place right now. And you shared how you soothe your congregation during this time of like inviting them to just be and to speak their truth, but also recognizing where God is showing up in the world, right? But I want to know from you more about what that means. Like, what does it mean when you say you feel fractured and out of place? Because the question is not to invoke um, some sort of like uh, <laughs> the conversation around like us sharing our pain for consumption matters, but more importantly, because I think there's something there in terms of this idea of doing the thing that nourishes and feeds our soul. Those two being in the same space, I just want to hear more about how that exists for you, right? Because I hear both. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, definitely, right? So uh, for all of the joy and the love and the delight that I have uh, of pastoring the people that I pastor, yeah. um, uh, we're, we're, not, we're not where we need to be in a variety of ways. <laughs> and the fractured piece for that is, okay, I'm going to say this and maybe I'll regret saying it, but I, what, whatever. Um, I have lived and worked in white spaces in the ELCA for a long time. And a lot of that was after I graduated high school and left my nice little black Lutheran bubble on Long Island where like we had a strong black pastors group and everybody knew one another and what have you. And white congregations in the ELCA are really great at queer things. And not all of them, but, like, that wasn't ever an issue. I just, like, showed up and did my job, and folks were like, woo, we're going to put a rainbow flag outside. And I'm like, you do you. But uh, they were horrible with race. And I frequently felt, like, mistreated, microaggressed, macroaggressed, and I know that I'm not the only person that has experienced this. I also know that as a biracial person, I uh, walk into spaces in a very different way than many of my Black colleagues, especially Black female colleagues, do. So I will say that. Being back in a congregation that's not all there on the gay issue and I don't even think it's a gay issue. I just am who I am. I won't even call it an issue. But on queer stuff has been difficult and has left me feeling both immense love for the work and 
collaboration that we're doing as the people of Jehu's Table and really sad at, at like an institution, meaning like African descent Lutheran congregations not showing up as fully for our LGBTQIA plus siblings. A lot of the like deep rooted homophobia that I had for myself growing up was out of my church. And a lot of the anxiety that I have about like getting married and like starting to continue to like live my life as a queer person who's been out for, I don't know, like 15 years now, that's a type of anxiety that I don't think I was ready to encounter or like own stepping back into like a predominantly black space. So when we're together and we're worshiping and things feel really life-giving, it is so much balm for the way that I feel as just like a person of color existing in the world right now. But the minute that things turn in regards to who and how I love and move through the world, I revert back to like 14 year old Kelsey, who's not doing well. Let's just say she was not doing well then. So the balance has been hard. The unlearning has been hard. I give a lot of kudos to my advisory board, like the team that just sustains me and my place there. But we're working on it. It just reminds me that the whole world still has work to do. Rudy Francisco, who's a spoken word poet, says, God listens to my voice on his iPad. It reminds him that we've still got work to do. And I think that where we think we are and where the radical nature of the gospel is pulling us to be, where God wants us to be, is not where we are. And that we're all on a journey working to where we need to be. That may be because I'm reading Revelation and trying to write a sermon today, but also Tamika's got me in my feels now. So you get what you get. And I love you. (laughs) Um, So first of all, I'm going to acknowledge that you shared a lot and that we're very vulnerable. So thank you for that. And just to speak on, I can't imagine, I mean, I do know. (laughs) I connect with you um, in many ways about identity and showing up in spaces and having to compartmentalize who you are in order to not just lead and serve, but also to survive and to (laughs) make it through. (laughs) So that's a lot. And um, you are loved and (laughs) I am grateful for you. I just want to say that now. That being said, my second question, because as a fellow too, Shout out to the tools in the house. What up, helpers? Enneagram. That's right. Two six. Two six and kind of nine. We have 
we have we do have a beautiful gift of meeting people where they are and even gaining a lot of energy and nourishment from helping people. And <laughs> we often tend to not care for ourselves. So <laughs> outside of your time and community where you're doing this work of helping and loving people, what are you doing to nourish that beautiful soul of yours that is sustaining and keeping you moving forward? Because you are taking on a lot, right? You just shared that. So yeah, how are you doing that? If you're not, the answer is okay. I just wanna ask you that question just because, yeah, I wanna know. I'm spending a lot of time with my partner. We have been in a long distance relationship for the entirety of our relationship and like a long one at that. So like New York to California, New York to Tanzania, you know what I mean? Like just a lot. So even getting to like see her like once a week for like coffee is very, very life-giving. I think I am the most unreasonable 28-year-old with how much I also call my mother. Uh, and I'm not ashamed of it. My mom is a nice lady. And we lost my dad when I was very young. And it took us a lot to get to the place in our relationship that we're at now. Um, I, I'm all constantly on the phone with her. Any minor inconvenience and I'm like, Mom! I'm mad. And she's like, girl, I have a life. I just moved. I'm trying to live my best life. Stop calling me every day, multiple times. And she says that every time. Um, I listen to a lot of music, a lot of music. I find it very difficult to sit alone in the silence if there's not background noise. I cannot talk for a while. But if there's not something kind of guiding my movement or moving my day along, it's hard for me. I used to be a bath person. That, I like prided myself on being a bath person. Uh, and then I moved to Brooklyn and they were like, you want a bath job? Uh, so I have a shower that is the best shower I've ever had in my entire life. And now I have to like stop myself from taking like 30 minute showers. I'm like, water's tight, girl, shut it off. You pay for water now. Like I really have to remind myself. Seminary spoiled me in a variety of ways, like constantly having friendship around and also not paying for just various amenities that adults have to pay for. So. I'm trying. I'm trying. You're doing a great job. I, <laughs> I too paying for water. Like, why? <laughs> it comes out of the ground. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so good. That's so good. I love water, and I also like taking baths, and I also understand having to limit yourself. Yeah, I know. I get a lot of joy also being in the shower or bath for a very long time. And for me, it's like if I have music on and I can get some of that out of me before mm -hmm. I have to move on to the rest of my day, then I'm good. So, <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, the same, the same <laughs> in every way. And thank you. 
I wanted to go back to something. I, I think Tamika and Kelsey, maybe you had said this about doing, you know, serving and being so much for the community that like we're not able to care for ourselves. And I think something that has challenged me specifically in ministry is this understanding of a hero's way to lead and ultimately, and even almost kind of like a Jesus way of leading where we are the ones that died, even though Jesus already died for us. So then who's really leading in those moments? Mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering in like your, in your journey of call, like how have you dealt or like unlearn that sense of a hero's way of leadership and really have leaned into the communal way of leading, of being, that is something that I feel like we are all really called to understand. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I was on a panel with some friends this week and they were going on and on about like, they're beautifully crafted worship services and not in a braggy way, just like something we have had to step up and do during this time is like create future films every month that are our weekly one hour worship services, right? So they're, they're going and then it comes to me and they're like, all right, Pastor Kelsey, how about you? And I say, yeah, I don't have to do any of that. And at first I felt really inadequate, like just adding it to the conversation because I know that there are folks out there working so hard. There are folks that are out there that are the only people that can do anything at their congregation in regards to tech and are just trying to figure out how to like be part of a worshiping community right now. The folks at Jehu's Table, this whole podcast is going to be me just like, Jehu's Table's great, woo, everything's fine. We have a youth member that does all of our tech. We have a worship planning group that does all of the music for Sundays. And we're worshiping on Zoom because it's what makes sense for our community. And knowing that like every Sunday through the act of collaboration, we're able to come together and worship that has taken it, taken the like hero complex down so much. I think that in seminary, we're taught like you learn all the answers so that you have the answers. Like you hold, you hold, you get the keys to the building, you hold the power. Uh, and that's not true. <laughs> it just isn't. I've had to remind my congregants, like if, if God is leading you to say something like you, you can be the preacher. And they're like, oh no, only, only I can. That's just not true. I think that there has to be this unlearning that like church is for everyone and that like all aspects of church are for everyone, right? So like our youth who serve as assisting ministers on Sunday, they lead the prayers. They lead, like they step up and do part of the reading. They do parts of the liturgy because I don't have to do it all. Now I will say that like that has taken some unlearning, but I also remind the congregation, like I don't, I don't have all the answers. We can look at the book together. We can pray to God and ask for God to show up, to show us what to do together. But like, 
I don't have a one way. I don't pick up the phone. God answers. We chat real quick and I know what to do. That's not how this works. We're all just people trying to learn how to be people together. And that a lot of that looks like letting other people lead and taking the step back. I always say uh, at the end of Bible study, which I have it, it tonight in an hour, I always say, uh, does anyone want to pray that's not me? Like, I'm always just like, can someone pray that's not me? Does someone want to lead the grace that's not me? Does someone want to figure out what the sermon should be? We do a lot of sermon prep and lection going through the lectionary together in our Bible study. And so much of what I preach on Sunday comes out of the like powerful conversations that we have together on Thursday. I just think that the early church was so collaborative that we lost that in the, the generation of like the pastor is the pastor the pastor is just a human, just existing in the world. So are you. You have good news to share, share it. That's all it is. Just a whole ratchet human out here. That's who we are. Listen. Right? Yes. Amen. Yes. Amen. That's who I am out here. Yes. Preach. <laughs> oh, that's so good. So what I'm hearing you say actually, I think, goes so is 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 really it's really what we're, <laughs> this season is about. <laughs> that this idea that God calls us in whatever way that we're called, right? And we answer that call by the work that we're doing. But that is not in isolation. So that looks like multiple things. Like it looks like us. Um, leaders, and I, I use air quotes, um, seeing the value and sharing space together, right? And not being so, so like focused on our little pen in the world, right? And like, this is my congregation. This is my space. Whereas it's a collective thing, like you said, collaboration. And it looks like we see the value and we see God working among us with the people that we are serving with and among as a part of that tapestry, as a part of our, not just our call, but how God has orchestrated this beautiful thing for us to be involved in, right? And I'm so glad that you spoke on that because that's what I heard and what you shared, right? Is that your call is interconnected with the call of the people you have come to serve, that where you were called to was not just for your individual uh, vocation, but you are also gifted with people who also are called and have a vocation. And the way that you lead is by recognizing the abilities and what God has given them. And seeing that as this is about the wholeness of who we are, right? So. I just wanted to name that. Did you have something else you wanted to say, friend? Well, I was going to give the last word to Kelsey and just in terms of for anyone who was listening, who has just started the journey of discernment and trying to, and navigating with God on where God is leading, calling, like what is advice, a word of hope, encouragement that you would offer? Um, whew. 
the first thing I would probably offer is find within yourself the answers to the questions that you have. Mm. So I worked in admissions at the seminary after I graduated and was waiting for call. And when I would meet with potential seminary students and listen to their call stories, I would frequently say, you know the answer. Seminary is not going to teach you the most intricate pieces of like why you're going to undertake this call. And that call is not always to be a pastor. Sometimes that call is to say, oh, seminary is not for me. I'm going to serve God in insert variety of fields and calls and vocations that are out there in the world, right? We are conditioned, the church conditions us, capital C Church, that like, We'll go through a process, and at the end of the process, we'll be, like, stamped good, and that that's it. But the journey is ongoing. I felt a call, I mean, I think even before I was born, to something. A call from God to be something. And I think that um, we're so busy jumping through hoops, because that's just how the process is that we forget to just listen to what God has already placed on our hearts. So I would say take quiet time out to listen to where God is, is speaking and also acknowledge that like God may be speaking in the places you least expect God to be speaking. The world doesn't get to decide who gets to be called. God decides that. Frequently in my journey, folks told me like, oh, you're too broken. Your mental illness is too much. You're queer. You're black. The church is too white. They'll never want to call you. You're too young. People will take advantage of you because you're too young. But God knew. And I think I just kind of try to keep reminding folks like, God knows what's going to happen even if you don't free fall into it make the path whatever the path needs to be uh, and God will meet you on it regardless. Amen. Amen. I say <laughs> hallelujah. Praise <laughs> God. That's a word. That's a whole word. <laughs> you don't have to say anything else. Well, Reverend Kelsey Brown, where can we and how can we support you? And and learn from you and share uh, what you are doing in the world and care for you. What are the places that we can do all of those things? So funny enough, I keep like most of my social media is like not related to the work that I do as the pastor of Jehu's Table. But Jehu's Table has some ways to connect with me as the pastor. So Jehu's Table on Instagram, Jehu's Table on Facebook. If you don't know how to spell Jehu, look up Jehu Jones. Just try. Think with your imagination what Jehu could be spelled like and learn a story about Jehu Jones and what his contributions to the church made way for. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Black Kelsey. I think you could see my stories. I post a lot of little tidbits on there. If you're my friend and you want to add me, 
and you're finding me from here, but you know that you're my friend, you can add me there as well. Love it. <laughs> you know, jehustable.org uh, gives more information about who Jehu Jones is, uh, the mission of our congregation. And there's a cute little meet the pastors page where you can learn more fun facts about me. I have a quick facts section on there. Well, awesome. You, you guys heard it first. And if you can support Jehu's Table, do all the things because we appreciate a community who is trying to thrive together and also share in a call to love one another. And I will be walking alongside you as we do and <laughs> supporting however I can as well. For Collar Girls, you're a for Collar Girl. Amen. You are. You're a Kyla girl. So thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank um, all. For sharing your wisdom. Um, and yeah, that's it. Reverend Kelsey Brown. You are the best. <laughs> the best. Such a great conversation. She's so inspiring. Very inspiring. Yeah. Very inspiring. Thank you for, yeah, again, the truth that you told. Yeah, <laughs> that's all we have to say. No, honestly, that's one of the things I am enjoying so far with our conversations is the level of honesty and vulnerability and how brave everyone is being. So thank you, Kelsey, so much for sharing that with us. And we also want to thank Odai Productions for making us sound real, real good. Getting, getting these out there in the world. And we really appreciate it. Amen to that. <laughs> um, and we want to thank Shay McCoy. She's like our photographer. I'm not sure if she labels herself that, but that's what we label her. All of the images you see of us, they all come from her and she makes us look real, real good. And we also want to thank our Patreon supporters. Um, without you, a lot of this cannot happen. So if you want to be a Patreon supporter, you can do so at patreon.com slash for collared girls. And that's collared like the greens. And you can find us on all the social medias, all of them <laughs> with for collared girls. All right. Y'all have a great one. Till next time. Peace.